0: Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter nineteen. If you're visiting with us, go in the chair in front of you, or a chair that's kind of next to you, in front of you. There should be a black Bible in there, and underneath there, you pull that out. If you go towards the back, find page sixty-three. They begin to renumber the New Testament section. So if you go towards the back and then find page 63, that's where Luke chapter 19, I'm going to start in verse 11 through verse 27. Nineteen eleven through 27. That's what we're going to study this morning. As I do, I'll read the passage, and then we'll do our study, our expositional study. Verse 11. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. He said, therefore... A certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and return. He called ten of his slaves or servants and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business until I return. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Fifteen. And it came about that when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these servants to whom he had given the money, be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Be in authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. And another came saying, Master, Behold your minor, which I kept, put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? then why did you not put the money in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, take the mine away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. 26, I tell you, that to everyone who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. Bring them here and slay them in my presence. The story goes that a man said, If I had some extra money, I'd give it to God. But I have just enough to support my and my family. And the same man said, If I had some extra time, I'd give it to God. But every minute is taken up with my job, my family, and, and what have you, every single minute. The same man later said, If I had a talent, I'd give it to God. But I have no lovely voice. I have no special skill. I've never been able to lead a group. I I can't think cleverly or quickly the way I would like to. And although it was unlike God to do this, he gave that man money, time, and a glorious talent. And then God waited. And waited. And waited. And then after a while, he shrugged his shoulders. And took all those things right back from the man. The money, the time, and the glorious talent. After a while, the man sighed uh, and said, If I only had some of that money back, I'd give it to God. If I only had some of that time, I'd give it to God. If I only could rediscover that glorious talent, I'd give it to God. And then God said, Oh, shut your mouth. And the man told some of his friends, You know, I'm not so sure that I believe in God anymore. How hmm. How unfortunate. But that's not unlike God. He does give in order that we may invest in spiritual things. He does give so we can invest in eternal things, not temporary things. God calls to people to become outcasts. And He says, come follow. Come follow Jesus. You'll find forgiveness of your sins. And what we'll see this morning, He commands you to be His faithful servants. He commands you to be his faithful servant. This is the parable, uh, what we can call the parable of stewardship and judgment. This concerns life for Jesus' followers. In between his resurrection and his return, what are they called to do? Jesus' followers, what are they called to do? He commands them to be faithful servants. I'll put in a sentence for you. Jesus' disciples are called to faithfully serve in their king's absence, making use of the gifts and responsibilities he's given to them. That's what Christians are called to do. This parable has three important functions. This is what you will see in the parable. It clarifies when God's kingdom will come, will appear. It shows the coming rejection and future return of Jesus. And it describes the role of Jesus' disciples in between his first and second comings. To be faithful stewards. Faithful servants. And for those that invest in spiritual things, in eternal things, it shows that they truly love Christ and they're truly faithful servants. They must be faithful since they will be held accountable when He returns. We will have to give an account. He calls us to faithful stewardship while He is gone. Or, the way to put it, we will be rewarded. If we're faithful, we will be judged if we're faithless. We are faithless, we'll be judged. So it's not just an encouragement. It is an encouragement for, for Christians to be faithful, but it's really a warning. Because faithlessness may reveal your true heart. Faithlessness may reveal your true heart. Those who reject the king will be judged. They want to be separated from the king. We don't want him ruling over us. Oh, they'll get what they want. He will slaughter them, separating them from him forever. And the one who is faithless... Will fall into the same category as these who rejected him. In light of the delay of our king's return and consummation, we still have a responsibility to fulfill faithful stewardship, faithful servanthood. For those who are faithful, it shows they truly know and trust the king, and they will be rewarded. If you are faithful, that shows your trust. Your knowledge of the king, you know him, you have a relationship with him, you trust him. But there will be judgment upon those who reject him. There will be. There's no room in But first, as we come to this passage, we have to deal with something first. which Jesus deals with first himself. And first, we have to deal with the fact that there's faithful service, not forceful supremacy. Notice in verse 11. Now, while they were listening to these things, what things? What Jesus was talking about earlier in verses 19, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And we read this verse and go, why is this so important? It is important. It's vital. Because as Jesus and his disciples were, they're drawing near, they're walking to Jerusalem, his disciples had false expectations and all the people around. They were hoping that the kingdom of God would come in all its fullness. They expected the consummation of the kingdom to happen as they would enter into Jerusalem. So Jesus had to clarify something. Or Jesus told them this parable so that they would know that the kingdom in all its fullness would not come. The kingdom in all its fullness would not come at this time. Consummation will not happen until later. There's two stages of the kingdom. There's a now, and there's a not yet. Or already, but not yet. It's here, but it's not yet here. There's forgiveness in Jesus now, and later there'll be glory. And this already, not yet, or now, not yet principle, you see this throughout Luke's gospel. Kingdom has come in Jesus. Yes, it's true. It is here. But there is a future consummation still yet to be accomplished, yet to be fulfilled. These people expected the full earthly kingdom to appear in Jerusalem at once. Um, an awesome revolution. It would take place whereby the Romans would be destroyed, the Jews would come and they would rule the world. Oh everybody's there That's what they were expecting. Messianic expectation was at its crazy high points. And people were talking about, oh, Jesus, he's, the, he's probably the Messiah. He's going to come. He's got all oh, those Romans in that great. He's coming to Jerusalem. It's going to happen soon. But they needed to understand that, as one writer put it, his passion would happen first, not as parousia. Parousia is a Greek term for come passion would happen first, not the Perusia. Passion is death. His death must happen first. Then his coming. He wanted them to understand what would be their responsibility during this long intermission. You know the intermission? They used to have that, remember? I think they used to have that in like movies even. They used to have a movie, they have a movie intermission. All right, everybody go get popcorn, right? And then come back and... Yeah, it couldn't be gone that long, right? Because it wouldn't be very long, that intermission. This is a very long intermission. Oh, let's say about 2,000 years. That's long. That's a long potty break. But that's what he wanted them to understand. He wanted his disciples to be prepared to serve faithfully until he returned. So, he gave a parable that allegorically spoke about his incarnation. Investing in his followers. His rejection by his enemies. His exaltation because he died, was buried, he rose and he was exalted by the Father. And then the final return. So this parable, it gives us what's happening, what's supposed to be happening when Jesus came and what happened and how he died. And then this long intermission, the huge long potty break and then his return, what takes place. That's why he did that. So again, faithful stewardship, not forceful supremacy of a kingdom. So let's work through the, the parable now. So how it begins: "Our master gives and then commands faithfulness. Our master gives and he commands faithfulness. Notice verse 12. He said, "Therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned. So the parable begins with some man of noble birth. Who's that? Hmm, I don't know. Jesus. He needed to journey to a distant country to secure his kingship. To receive this kingdom. This is going to contrast with the earthly rule in verse 11. So this part right here, this is verse 12, it's going to correspond with something. It corresponds with Jesus' death and resurrection. He received authority as a result of, the, of his exaltation. So he comes to receive a kingdom... And it's going to talk about these subjects, they rejected him. Okay? We're going to see that in just a moment. So he received his kingdom in a foreign land while he was away from his servants. And then you're going to see about this delegation that to stop him. So a certain moment he came to a distant country, went to a distant country to receive a country for him, kingdom for himself and return. Notice verse 13. He called ten of his slaves or his servants gave them ten minas and said to them, do business until I return. So before he left, he called ten servants, giving them certain responsibilities, giving them ten minas. Now notice Jesus didn't say twelve. So it's not directed to the twelve disciples. So it is disciples just in general. He just gave ten. It was a use in Judaism when they would give stories, just like a general number. He gave each servant a mina. What's a mina? About four months' wages. Wages for about four months in the first century. Do business while I'm gone. Go make a profit from the fruitful labor you're going to do with this mina. That's his command. So he expected them to make money in his absence. To prepare for greater responsibilities later when he would return. When he did return, he would reward them handsomely. But they were commanded to be diligently faithful with this minor right now. And because of their association with Jesus, these servants were given the responsibility of making a profit with what Jesus had given to them. So there was a command be faithful stewards, or uh, be faithful servants. Faithful stewardship of what? What does this minor represent? What exactly did he give to us, his disciples? Because he's talking about us. Remember, it's in this long intermission period. And he gives it to his Christians to be faithful servants, faithful stewards. What did he give us? Faithful stewardship of what? One writer thinks it's the gospel. Which I struggle with because how does one produce results with the gospel? So what? If no one comes to Christ from you giving them the gospel, then have you failed? I, I I don't think that's what it is. Others think it's just certain distinct gifts or responsibilities. Or, maybe it's actual money. Resources. Whatever God gives you as far as monetary means in this life. That's what I think he's saying. It seems to make sense from the wider context of Luke, where Jesus spoke about investing money for spiritual things, eternal things. In chapter 16, just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much he was unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. That's in chapter 16, verse 10. Verse 11 says, If therefore you've not been faithful in unrighteous money, in money, just money, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, verse 12, who will give you that which is your own? So this is what I believe Jesus is talking about. Um, Those who don't know God are prudent with the things of this life. Money, possessions, resources. So as Christians, we should apply ourselves to honor and serve Jesus in this way with our resources, with our money. Our time, money, resources, possessions, belongings. What do people in this world do with their stuff? They invest in it so they can get what? Get more stuff. Right? You have to be a wise investor. Prudential is the rock, right? As people in this world apply themselves to gain protection and prosperity in the world from their money, they invest in temporary things we as Jesus' disciples should see the importance of investing in spiritual things and in the spiritual ways with the monetary means God has given us time money resources for growth and godliness to serve others what's Jesus bringing up again? money I told you didn't I one of the two things Jesus talks about the most first Hell. Second, money. Why? Because how you spend your money reveals who you really are. As people of this world invest their money in the things of this world, shrewdly, prudently, cleverly, and they're really smart about that, right? They invest in the stock market, they invest in this. Well you, probably you think, Man, if only I would have invested in Apple, you know, thirty years ago, right? You think about that, wow. So we should, as Christians, invest our time, invest our money, invest our resources. But not in these temporary things, in spiritual things, in eternal things, in the lives of people, in growth in our life, in things that really matter. We should be known in our communities as life investors. People will spend enormous amounts of time investing their money. And they will spend enormous amounts of money investing their time. For what? Nothing. It's temporary. So this parable is calling us to use our money... Our resources, our stuff in a way that pleases God and serves Him by serving others. You got two extremes in our world. First extreme one of the biggest contributors to problems amongst youth and adults today is known as, in the uh, media world, DAT. You never want to have DAT. You know what that stands for? Dead air time. Because then you begin to lose people. No DAT. People have too much time on their hands. They're doing nothing. They're investing in nothing. So that's one extreme. Here's the opposite extreme. People have too much time on their hands. The opposite extreme, they blow their money and they blow their time on meaningless stuff. They're investing this and investing that and doing this and doing that on nothing. Two extremes. For us, God is watching over how we use what He has given to us, His people, His followers. Shouldn't we invest in the lives of others by giving to them? Won't we be sensitive to use our resources that God has given to us in ways that are pleasing to Him by giving to others? Willing to give borrow this let this happen you can take that your belongings your stuff <laughs> yeah, take it go ahead use it by caring for others by having lives that truly honor God by investing in spiritual things in your own personal Christian walk why not invest in that dare I say this Give your money generously to further the gospel. When you see opportunities to further the gospel. Not the prosperity gospel. Not the gospel that says, send me $50 and God's going to bless you with $5,000. No, not that. That's the prosperity gospel. It's the gospel that says, come and live and die. That's what Jesus says. That's That's the real gospel. Give him money generously to, to further the gospel. If we don't, then we're not making proper use of what God has given to us. Use your possessions to gain eternal, friends. Be a faithful servant as God's people, as those who love Him. So every Christian, every Christian receives from the Lord and is responsible to use use what he's received for God's glory, investing in the kingdom. Serving, giving, loving, devoting yourself to this, to this, to that. How can I extend my energy towards others, investing in spiritual lives and building up relationships that will matter, that will last, not frivolous things. That's what I believe Jesus is talking about here. So here's what he does. He gives. And then he goes away. Now there's a little part here in verse 14 that takes place, which is this next point. Our master was rejected, verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Notice the quick shift from the servants of the master to the citizens. Who are these citizens? They hated the noblemen. You see that? Obviously, these represent the Jewish nation as a whole. Particularly, though, the religious leaders. They rejected Jesus. And it doesn't talk about it here, but in verse 14, what happens? They rejected Jesus and they killed Jesus. Then Jesus left and he received the kingdom for himself here in heaven And then he was going to return. He had an ongoing attitude of hatred towards him. They're going to come up later. Verse 27. So our master was rejected, but now it goes, it shoots forward into time, and now our master returns. He's going to review, and now he's going to reward. That's where verses 15 through 19 come in. Notice 15. came about when you return. Having received the kingdom, so it depicts Jesus receiving a kingdom when he went to the Father, but the full exercise of his authority awaits until his return. He ordered these slaves or servants to whom he given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. So he received his kingdom in heaven and came home as his return. At his return, he called his servants to give an account for what they had done with the money he given to them. Were they faithful to the master's command? Were they faithful to the master's command? So here is the call, faithful stewardship of God's people, in between Jesus' comings. Did they do that right here? So here he's, his return takes place. Here it says he left the servants. They hated him. They rejected him. They killed him. He left. He received the kingdom, and then he returned so now we're here the judgment time give it an account notice verse 16 first appear master your has made 10 minus more from 1 to 10 minus wow, a thousand percent increase I want that guy on my side he was truly faithful with the opportunities given to him by his master but notice too his humility he doesn't say my, my <laughs> check it out Notice he says, Your minor. Your minor. It wasn't mine to begin with, Master. It's your minor. Your minor has made ten. No, isn't that interesting? It's not mine. It's yours. And it made ten more. The Master's response, he commends him, he gives a reason, he promotes him. Oh John, Awesome. Well, done! you're a great servant. Why? Notice. You've been faithful in a very little thing. Hmm, where did we see that before? Chapter 16, verse 10. 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. That's why I think Jesus is is talking about resources here. So back, back, back to 17. You've been faithful in a very little thing being authority over ten cities. Now I'm going to promote you. He was given charge over ten cities. This is huge. I mean, he goes from one minor, four months' wage, to ten minors. That's, that's forty months, right? Is that right? Am I doing my math right? Four times ten. Okay, four. So he goes from four months' wages to forty months' wages, and that says, you know what? I want to make you be in charge over Ten cities. That's that's a huge promotion. Is that not the graciousness, the compassion, and the mercy of the Master? Wow, that's amazing. Now, it doesn't have to do with the part of the kingdom that's here now. The Master is referring to the full consummation of the kingdom because he's just returned. A reward will be for more services, more responsibilities, more opportunities. So he gave him charge over ten cities. Listen, if you are faithful in little things as a Christian, you'll be given more in the kingdom when Jesus returns. One writer says, faithfulness now will result in kingdom responsibility later. There'll be greater service then. Responsibilities will be greater in scope. Why? Remember chapter 16, verse 11. Jesus says, if, if, you, if you're not faithful in just money, this, this stuff and this life, possession and belongings, who's going to give you the stuff that really is going to last? If you can't take care of the things that's not even your own, remember? Your, mine, master, remember? If you can't take care of the stuff that's not your own, how are you going to take care of the stuff that's given to you? Second servant, verse 18. The second came saying, Your master has made five minors, And he said to him also, verse 19, And you are to be over five cities. Brief, but he was also commended. And also promoted. Then he was given charge over five cities. A 500% increase. Again, faithful in small things. Your responsibility will be in greater things. Now, Jesus doesn't go through all of the ten. So the assumption is he goes through the nine. And then there's that guy. You know, you're talking to somebody. Yes, the guy that was. Uh, oh, that guy. In the Greek, it says the other one. You don't see that in English. It just says in English, and the another came. In the Greek, it's actually the other one. Oh, that guy. He went through the other servants. They're faithful to what he told them to do. But not that guy. Most were faithful. Few are not. What did this other one do? Master, behold your mina, which I kept, put away in a handkerchief. He laid aside the money. He did not obey the Master by investing the mind of business. Instead, he hid it in a face cloth. It would have been safer for him to bury it in the ground. I mean, in this time period, there was, for you to keep money, which he was not wise like that, it would have been safer for him to put it in the ground and bury it somewhere. So not only was he being faithless, he was most likely even being careless. What's his reasoning? Twenty-one. For I was afraid of you. What? Why are you afraid of him? Because you are an exacting man, or severe man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He was afraid. Because he thought the king was severe. He believed his master took from others what he didn't work for. The word "severe" means, one writer says, a strict administrator, unrelenting exploiter, a cutthroat dealer, like a car salesman. Ooh, did I just say that out loud? Oh, oh! If you're a car salesman, that's okay. You can repent later. Uh, I'm just kidding. But that's the idea of this word, severe cutthroat dealer, administrator, unrelenting exploiter, he may gain through others' efforts. Oh, wait a second. If this was true, then he should fear. Why? Because it would mean that his master would come after him for not obeying him. Right? I mean, he thought, look, if if I earn this money... He's going to take it from me. He's going to take it from me. And if, and if I lose the money, he's going to hold me responsible. And then he's going to come get me. So this man thought, he, he, he thought he was a mean master. And yet, wait a second. The master's response to the previous servants, well, that proved that to be false. He wasn't mean. You know what it really looks like? It looks like the servant didn't know his master at all, doesn't it? That's what it looks like. He didn't know his master at all. His master just gave charge of this guy who made 10 minus. from four months' wage to forty months wage, Ten cities. That's graciousness. That's not severe. From five, one minus to five minus, now he's in charge of five cities. That's huge, that's a major promotion. That's not. An exploiter, a cutthroat dealer. That's compassion, isn't it? That's a very generous master, is it not? Unfortunately, he will find out he was terribly mistaken about his master. He really did not know his master at all, nor did he even trust him. This is the other guy. Notice how the master responds first to him. Our master judges faithlessness. 22 to 26. Notice how he responds. Notice the first part. He said to him, By your own words, I will judge you. The master rebuked the servant, and I'm going to judge you. His very excuse became the ground for judgment. By your own words. And notice, he's not a good servant. You have worthless there in your translation. But the word actually means Evil. He was an evil servant. So, who he really was, it, it just came out, didn't it? And notice how the master repeated the servant's accusations. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what, you, what I did not lay down and reap what I did not sow? Oh, did you know that? Oh, you knew that, huh? Well, if he really felt this way about his master, then he was a fool. Because he should have done something with the money. I mean, think about it. He was in a no-win situation. If it's true, then do something to gain pleasure. If he's wrong, then he just insulted his master and didn't listen to what he said. He did not obey him. What does it come down to? It comes down to this. Either this servant was lying about how he felt about the master to excuse his lack of diligence, or he totally misjudged his master. Either way, he responded poorly. And either way, he revealed his true heart, didn't he? He revealed what he really thought. He revealed who he really was. You know, there's a great connection to our evangelism here. When you're giving someone the gospel. Because you know what you need to do when you tell someone the gospel. God, man, Jesus, respond. God, who is God? He's our creator. He's our ruler. He's our sustainer. And His demand, His standard is perfection. And what do people do? What do people say when you say the standard is perfection? Nobody is perfect, right? And they will say, if God's like that, then He's too harsh. Right? That's a harsh God. That's a condemning God. That's not the right kind of God. If God is that harsh, then I don't want to know that kind of God, right? You've had somebody tell you that before? Well, wait a second. If, if God is truly awesome and that harsh, then that's all the more reason to positively respond to Him. That excuse is absolutely ridiculous. Because if He is that harsh, then shouldn't you respond to Him even more so? Right? I mean, that only makes logical sense. If God is truly that powerful and harsh, then we should respond to Him in obedience and diligence. This shows that in the servant, he had a bad view of authority. And it shows that in the unsaved person too, when you give them the gospel. If God is really that powerful, then we should respond to Him in obedience then we should repent and put our trust in Jesus. Because if God is that powerful, if God is that strong, then you better respond to Him. Because this is serious. Jesus doesn't mince words here, does He? He just comes after you. And He's gracious and compassionate. And He will save sinners. Notice what he says in verse 23, back to the master. Then why did you not put the money in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest? At the very least, he should have responded by putting the money minor in the bank. This would be a conservative response. Put it in the bank. And, and they don't have banks like we have today. There wasn't the Bank of Palestine. Let's go to the Bank of Palestine. It's a great bank. They give you really good loans. The percentage rate is awesome. Not those types of banks. Actually, the word means give it to the table of the money lender. And he would use that money and bring about an interest from the money, from the miner. While the master was absent, he could have collected the miner or the money, the uh, interest, could have collected that when he returned. Notice what happens in verse 24 and verse 25 and he said to the bystanders take the mine away from him give it to the one who has ten minas." and they said to him Master he has—he he already has ten minas." who are the others probably the other nine most likely passing judgment upon that servant the master said to take away the mine give it to the most faithful servant why? notice how the other servants they're shocked what? why give it to that guy? because of that guy alright? I mean, he has a whole bunch of minors. He already had ten. A bonus is unfair. Friends, it's not unfair if you own the money. If I own the money and I'm going to give it to whomever I want and I want to give this guy a bonus, not that person, what is that to you? It's none of your business. And yet we think God is obligated to us in some way. It's not unfair if the master owns it all and gives it to him whenever he wishes. Keep that in mind. And then verse 26, which is one of the most difficult verses in the parable. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. The one who does not have has what he did have taken away from him. He loses what he appeared to have. The one who has is the one who gets more. What's Jesus trying to say? The most faithful get additional reward and responsibility. Those who are most faithful will be rewarded big time. Those who are faithful will have what they have taken away. Because it reveals their true heart. The one who lacks shows he's made no use of the opportunities given to him or her. They've invested in nothing. They've not invested in spiritual things. They've not invested in people. They've not given to further the gospel. They've not given. So it's just showing their true heart. They don't really know the master. Use its Or lose it to put it in a short vernacular. But wait, what happens to this servant? It doesn't really say, does it? Is his stuff burned up, but he himself is saved? From First Corinthians chapter chapter four, chapter three? Or was he condemned? I believe he was condemned. Because the other one The other guy He represents those who are related to the king They're associated with the community They seem to have responsibility They seem to be a part of God's family Yet notice How his attitude displayed That he really didn't see God As merciful and gracious He had not truly trusted in God He believed God was harsh Hard Unjust He really didn't positively respond to God. In other words, he had no true relationship with Master Jesus. These don't know him at all, unfortunately. They don't trust him. But how is this possible? How is it possible for something like this to happen? I mean, was there an example of someone like this? Yes. Yes. Was there an example, something like this, even amongst Jesus, his followers? Yes! His name was Judas. Do you not remember Judas was actually healing people? You don't remember that, do you? Do you not remember that Judas was actually proclaiming the gospel to people? Judas was actually healing. Judas was proclaiming the gospel. But Judas did not know the king, did he? That's a scary place to be. Because in the end, he did not trust Jesus. It just all was a show. Friend, where is your heart with the Lord Jesus? Are you truly trusting him? Do you know him? Does he truly know you? That's us a question Jesus said many will come to me on that day Lord Lord did, did we not prophesy in your name did we cast out demons did we do such really good things for you he was like I, I never knew you see the true heart will show investing and serving and giving and just wanting to give and just loving the Savior and want to invest in spiritual things versus someone who just invests in the things of this world. Our master judges faithlessness. But also, the last point is our last verse too. Our master judges rejection. Verse 27. Remember those citizens in verse 14? But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Well, that's pretty... um, right-in-your-face type language, isn't it? For those who truly were His enemies, they did not want Jesus to reign over them. Verse 14. Who was it? The religious leaders. Remember that? They were the ones that killed Him. The orders were given to execute them. Interesting how in this very parable, the two things that Jesus talks about the most, they're, they're in this parable. Hell and money. If you reject Jesus, you will be rejected. He will reject you. Are you here today? You're not a follower of Jesus. Don't reject him, else, he will one day reject you. He comes to bring forgiveness. Jesus said in John chapter 3, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's here to save. Why don't you come to the Savior and be saved? So the parable gives us three groups with three different fates. Well, probably the two different fates, I should say. The faithful stewards who were rewarded The unfaithful didn't didn't really trust them servants who were rejected. And the harsh judgment for rebels who openly rejected Jesus. This is serious stuff, isn't it? Jesus has come to bring the opportunity for forgiveness. But when he returns, there will be judgment. Don't spurn this opportunity. Don't spit on it. You cannot be neutral in your relationship with Jesus. You're either for Him or against Him. You either embrace Him or you reject Him. You cannot have both. You cannot serve both God and money. That's what Jesus said in chapter 16. Either you will invest in kingdom things and eternal things and spiritual things because you love Christ and you have a relationship with Christ or you will invest in other things. The things of this life, the possessions of this life. One is either a faithful servant who sees the Master as gracious, loving, and merciful, or, or one is faithless who sees the Master as harsh, cruel, ruthless, inconsiderate. Or one flat out rejects Jesus and wants nothing to do with Him. You're one or the other. the faithful faithful will be rewarded generously so be a good servant and use what you've been given to invest in spiritual things if you refuse to serve you'll be left with nothing but shame and judgment if you totally reject him you will face severe judgment which will you choose One writer says this, faith and faithfulness lead to spiritual growth and God's pleasure. Not, not pleasure for salvation, but reward. Be rewarded. So will you choose service or rejection? Will you be commended, the commended servant, or the other guy? Or the rebellious group that was slain? Which do you choose? Let's take a few moments and I'll let you think and ponder what we've seen here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. I'll let you think and ponder, have a few moments of silence for you to think and ponder and then we'll continue our time of worship where you can do your giving and then we can respond as well, not just in giving, but also singing our last two songs and then our closing prayer. So take a few moments and And ponder what we've seen in God's Word this morning. Think.